It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hook them up with he and Rod P. Brought to you by Bud Light on the Horn. We roll on. It's the uh, start of the NFL season, so we're making our official predictions division by division. We'll have our Super Bowl picks and winner coming up next hour. This hour, we hit the NFC West and South. Ty picked the Cowboys for you Cowboys fans in the NFC East. Rod and I both took Eagles to become the first team in that division to go back-to-back with uh, division championships in 20 years. But uh, So we're long odds there, but I think mm-hmm. Philadelphia is even better than they were last year. But that's the NFL, the uncertainty of it. The parity that's always been pushed for in that league has created this monster because it's uh, it's just so uncertain. Can you I know? give you a stat that kind of backs that up? Because no one would have picked Philadelphia last year at this time to go 14-3. and They mm, did. Not 14-3, and no. Yeah. I thought they'd be a, a decent team. I mean, they were a playoff team. They were. That year before, people forget about that. And but, they lost to Tom Brady. And yeah. Jalen Hurts didn't play well in that game. And you thought, man, he. but Jalen Hurts he got so much better. Yeah, he learned a lot. Uh, here's a stat from Bill Barnwell then, uh, since we're talking about the NFL and how Bill Barnwell. What crazy it is yeah, and how unpredictable it can be. From 2002 to 2021, about one in three teams who finished with 10-plus wins posted a losing record the following season. History suggests three of these nine teams will drop below 500 in 2023. Thought exercise, which one of the three will drop below 500? Bills, Bengals, Ravens, Chiefs, Chargers, Cowboys, Eagles, Vikings, 49ers. 20-year history suggests the parity of the NFL that three of three those. of those teams will drop below 500. Which three, guys? Which top three? of my head with just hearing that question, it's, I would say Vikings, Chargers, and exactly, it's tough. Vikings, Chargers. Vikings are at the top of the list. Remember all the stuff we just talked about. Vikings are at the top of that list. Vikings, Chargers. Chargers. Ooh, yeah. Dare we say it's not the Cowboys. The reason I say Chargers, Chargers might be tough because that division for them, they're not going to beat the Chiefs, but I think they're better than the Raiders and the Broncos. But the Chargers always Charger. The Chargers always Charger. Super Chargers. <laughs> That's true. Charger. They're killing more, point. though, now. Chargering. You're right about that. That doesn't, that doesn't make me feel better about that situation. Um, having mm. Big Mac McCarthy calling your plays makes you feel better, I guess. <laughs> Super Bowl champion, Big Mac McCarthy. Yeah. It'll be one of those two Cowboys Chargers, in my opinion. And, and by the one way, of those come on. Think yeah. about a catastrophic injury probably also will oh, lead for to sure. one of these teams That's the other thing, having a right? serious regression. You can't predict that. We just don't know who it's going to be. Well, when, when you know. The year Dak Prescott's leg went sideways. There you go. Done. But they were a bad team before that. Just be fair. Let's remember, they were not good at that point. There was like the fifth game of the year, and they were, what, that was Mike McCarthy's first year, and it was terrible. Oh, yeah. That Their defense, defense was had, awful. Oh, yeah. He he Mike missed, Nolan as his defense. Ugh. He missed five games last year, and they went 4-1. and one. Well, that's... It's Cooper, baby. All right. I, I don't mm-hmm. think it's going to be the Cowboys. Now you got Trey Lance. Yeah, I don't think it'll be the Cowboys. But that's an interesting stat, though. Think Huge about that. To your Huge point stat. about the parity, it's, it's, it's so much parity in this league. Literally, they have engineered everything. CBA, all the rules for parity, and they got it. Because you got teams that go from the top 
to the bottom uh, and from the Every bottom year. to the top routinely. It's, it's, it's to give the fan bases hope. So you always believe this is the year for our team because you can always point to an example of it for another team. You hear Ty in there? Because Jerry Jones has been selling them hope for 25 years. <laughs> selling hope and change like Obama in there, man. Just. Hope, hope, hope and change. This is the year. This is the year, baby. You can have it. Is this, this might be the year for the Cowboys, though. This I mean, I'd rather go in every year expecting to win than expecting to lose. Well, and you know what? For, for and I think if you're, as a, you're a Cowboys fan, fan, Ty, I think you have every right to be comp- confident about this team, that they can be right back there at 12-5-ish. and five-ish. And the, the bar for this team in, in Dallas is about that, that divisional playoff game, right? Can they get over that hump? Nothing. That's the problem for the Cowboys right now. It's kind of like the Longhorns. Nothing. You know, this is about what happens when you get to January for mm-hmm. the Dallas Cowboys at this point. And if they don't even get there, that's going to be a real problem for Mike McCarthy. Oh, yeah. I mean, the whole point is not only you got to get there, you, if you end up facing the 49ers again. Yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which you might. You might end up facing them again. Yeah, I mean, that's the test because nobody cares about your 12 wins in the regular season. That that's it, Those are unfair expectations, but that's the truth now. you got to get past the division round. That's the only measurement of success for the Cowboys. Yeah. Everything else had, is a disappointment. Well, you had 12 last year. You had 13 the year before. Yeah. Like, okay. you couldn't get past the 90s. Been there, done so that. That's going to be the question for mm. them. That's a great stat by Bill Barnwell, and it leads back into this conversation about the NFL, uh, without a doubt. Real quick, Rod, before we get to your rant of the day, and we're going to go division, finish our two divisions at the bottom of the hour, the uh, NFC South and West. Uh, but I wanted to mention this, this Bob Iger comment, because we're talking about I don't have on my DirecTV, I don't have NBC right now locally. Uh, ESPN or 16 million Spectrum subscribers across country don't have ESPN right now, and people are wondering what the heck is going on. Bob Iger is the head of Disney, right? Mm-hmm. Disney CEO, and he did an interview on on MSNBC or no CNBC yesterday, in which he really said the problem, uh, spoke it out loud, that the problem right now is at some point ESPN will go direct to consumer, right? They're gonna they're gonna cut out. The cable companies all together, the satellite companies, and they're going to go like Spectrum, yep. and they're going with, with their ESPN programming. They're going to go straight to consumer, right? They're going to stream it. Uh, so they'll have an app. Right now, they don't have this, right? They still have their deals cut with all the the media companies around the country and around the world, and that's how ESPN is distributed. But Iger makes it clear it's not if, it's when they're going to go direct to consumer, and that's what these cable outlets, Spectrums, and the, they want mm-hmm. guarantees that, wait a second, we're not going to lock up this deal, and all of a sudden you're going to be going competing against us, going direct to consumer. This is the inherent problem that's going on, and no one. that's why these agreements are going to be hard to come by, because ESPN won't give them that agreement, right? Disney's not going to say, no, we're not doing that. Um, so uh, that's the problem. It's kind of like in the writer's strike in Hollywood, Rod. I mean, the writers want agreements that the the – the filmmakers and the movie houses won't use AI yep. to replace writers, and they won't give them that agreement. They're like, no, man, because we, we, we're definitely going to do cheap that. cheap labor, y'all. It's definitely going to happen. We just don't know what to, to what extent it's going to happen. Right. <laughs> yeah. We're happy to pay the best writers <laughs> yeah. the most money, there but we go. don't want to pay all the writers just yeah. a guaranteed number. That's like just a great Cause, point. Because we can we use AI. And now they're trying to get reality TV uh, stars to also yeah. get more rights and benefits. It's like, well. Uh, and that's, uh, that's one of those negotiations. I don't know what the end is. And the other part of this is a new report suggests that, here it is, this is another piece of log on the fire to what you and I have been talking about for weeks now, Rod. A new report suggests that numerous current and former Disney executives believe Bob Iger is gearing up to sell the House of Mouse mm. to Apple. Wow. The House of Mouse the whole damn to thing. Apple. The whole shebang. The whole Ooh. shooting match. Wow. To, to Apple, Game which, of changer. course, as we've talked about, Apple would Game then have changer. all of the TV, the sports streaming that they would want, all of ESPN's deals with college football, the NFL, the NBA, all of those agreements would belong to Apple, and they would stream them 
Mm. Whether they kept the ESPN branding or not is would, would be known. But that's a new report that was just out yesterday. Numerous current and former Disney executives believe Bob Iger is gearing up to sell Disney to Apple. And Apple, honestly, has got the cash to buy it. Like yeah. actual cash. They can <laughs> in, their, <laughs> in their couch cushions. Yeah, they, yeah. so that that would be... Uh, like the billionaire at, at SMU. That's uh, a couple hundred, <laughs> yeah, couple hundred million. It. What am I going to uh, do? We're not too worried about it. We're not too worried about it. 200 million? We're not too worried about it. All right, so keep an eye on that. And obviously it's the... Uh, as the media conglomerates turn and the streaming services as we get ready for the NFL tonight, which is the number one television show in the world. Can we go to the Rod's rant for this nine o'clock hour? Mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Find out what happens when people stop being polite and start getting real. You ain't Mm-mm. keeping it real. My God, okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. What's oh, you've got it now. It's time for Rod's rant of the day. Hold on to your butts. All right, so, of course, we are getting closer to the Texas-Bama game, and we have analyzed it from every different angle, right? We've been slapped it up, flipped it, and rubbed it down. We went through every different matchup we can go through. So now we're into the details of how this matchup may play out, and we were just talking to Travis. It's Travis Ryer, right? Is it Ryer? His name? Uh-huh. Uh, he was really good, uh, Bama insider. And he agreed uh, with some of the things that I brought up that I think it's going to be tough for either one of these teams to run the f- football. And honestly, the way I think it's going to go is Sark's script is going to be amazing. Uh, I wouldn't looked up my notes from last year. Sark had eight different personnel packages that he used in that Bama game and easily, I think, passes the eye test for most Longhorn fans as the most creative script that Sark has had uh, since he's been here at Texas. And I imagine we're going to see something just as creative in this matchup versus uh, Alabama in Tuscaloosa. So expect to see all those personnel packages, the 11, the 12, the big 11, big 12, 6-0 line packages, the 2021. Remember both of your biggest uh, plays in the Rice game, that 37-yard touchdown to Jay Brooks, the 40-something-yard touchdown to JT Sanders, both out of 21 personnel, two backs, one tight end. Only saw like five or six snaps of it, but I think you may see more of it versus Alabama. So you may get all of it, 23, 20, 30 personnel. You may get a ton of different uh, personnel groupings and formations. And I, I think for Sark, and you're going to get that early on, by the way, in the opening script. But when that wear, when that you know, obviously when that wears thin, and then you got to get down to the adjustments within the game, the chess match within the game, that's where this game will be won and lost for for Texas or for Alabama. And when you're talking about big games, I brought this up earlier. If you're talking about winning a big game, uh, postseason games are really big games. Whether it's a regular season matchup that you've been knowing about for a year, there's always extra preparation done. We know Texas, along with, with Gary Patterson, did a lot of extra preparation for Bama last year. We know now Steve Sarkeesian hinting and the players uh, implying that basically Texas has done a lot of preparation for Alabama in the offseason this season. I think even for the Rice game, and I said it before the game, I said it, to anybody who would listen, I said, man, if I was if I was Steve Sarkeesian, I would not be preparing for Rice <laughs> as hard as I would be preparing for Bama. And the players wouldn't know it, but I would be, you know, infusing all of my practice periods, all of my, you know, seven-on-sevens, my team sessions with Bama material. The players wouldn't know it. We would be, t- be talking about Bama, but we would be practicing for Alabama, whether that be the week before uh, Rice, the week of Rice, and, of course, afterwards you're pre- pre- prepping for Bama. And they've been doing it in the offseason too. And I still believe that was the case. 
I was talking to my man Drew Kelson about it, who was on that Longhorn team that won the national title and was uh, from DB High uh, at Houston Lamar. And even he said, yeah, he remembers before Ohio State, uh, they had a game, and I forgot who it was. I don't know if it was Louisiana Lafayette or something like that. And they were practicing all these really cool concepts, and he kept asking Coach, Coach, why didn't we use some of those cool concepts? We were practicing in the game. And then they broke them all out versus Ohio State. They were practicing them the week before. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he was like, they didn't use them. Like, why would we use that really cool stuff? It's like, well, eh, we're going to use it. We just need you to rep it a little bit more. Expect that type of philosophy and mentality versus Alabama. They're going to break it out. They're going to be in the bag. But what I said about winning big games, you got to break tendency to win big games because teams are doing extra prep. They're putting in extra prep, right? They're putting in overtime. Nobody's going on in the postseason. Right? Nobody, everybody's staying up late, staying late, sleeping on the couch, putting in that extra work. Same thing's happening for the big Alabama game, your big regular season matchup with your rival. Uh, Mac Brown was famous for the bye week. If there's an A&M or an Oklahoma after that bye week, we're probably going to be preparing for that rival during the bye week. Right? We're going to use that extra time. And with that extra time, because you know you only have a fixed amount of time to practice, and, and meet with your team. So if you're going to meet and practice about something, you better make sure it's important and relevant. Otherwise, you're wasting truly, literally valuable time <laughs> that you only have so much of <clears throat> because of the NCAA rules and the CBA and the NFL or anything. So with that time being spent and you putting extra time, that means you really, really get to know and really familiar, familiarize yourself with the habits, the trends, the patterns, the tendencies of a team. You know them you know in and out. I know all Texas patterns, trends, and tendencies. You guys know that. I give them to you all the time. All right? So picture Rod B times 10. Right? Yeah, with uh, those a, analysts. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's like a bunch of those guys, 10 to 15 of them in a room, and they're all looking at certain concepts, looking at different trends, patterns, and tendencies, and they're bringing all that information to the coach and going, all right, here you go. This formation, 70% of the time in this down and distance, you'll get this route combination. They give it all to them. All right? And that's why it's, it's so important in those big games where all that prep is being done and they are exhausting themselves with the most thorough research possible to find every little minute minuscule minuscule detail that'll give them some type of uh you know advantage all right in game planning that you use that time against them use their trends use all the trends and all the patterns and tendencies they found you got to use it against them and that's why breaking tendency is big I, I, my one of the more famous examples actually involves Alabama and Nick Saban Right, Nick Saban's in the national championship game against Georgia. Jalen Hurts is his quarterback, and he's trying to figure out every which way, all right, to solve the the, the riddles and the game plans and challenges that Kirby Smart's Georgia team has presented to him. Because Kirby Smart knows Nick Saban better than any other assistant coach. He was with him longer than any other assistant coach. He's with him, what, 11, 12 years he's with Nick Saban. And took every principle and philosophy, uh, you know, and uh, dogma that Nick Saban taught him. And he, he built that Georgia program with it. And now they're back-to-back champions. But before that was done, he was, he was trying to do it a little bit earlier in 2017. In that, 20, I think it was a 2018 year, but it was a 2017 national title game. And Kirby Smart's game plan and scouting report was so thorough and so exhaustive that Alabama, really, Nick Saban, he was out, he was out of ideas. He had no counters. He was going to lose that national title game because Jalen Hurts was struggling. Why? Because Kirby Smart knew Jalen Hurts. He knew him very well. He had, he had helped you know, on that team. He had seen him in practice. Hell, he was probably there when they recruited Jalen Hurts and, and probably was helping with evaluations, all that kind of stuff. He knew all the players on that roster. So he knew their weaknesses and their strengths. And one of the only players he did not have a thorough scouting report on 
was Tua. And Nick Saban decided, I got to break tendency. Only way I'm going to beat Kirby Smart in this game. He knows everything we're going to do. He knows my schemes. He knows all my players. The one player he don't really know that he cannot account for is Tua. I'm putting him in the game. Puts him in the game. And we all remember, was it the first or second play throws, touched a touchdown pass to Devontae Smith? The rest is history. They win the game. They win the game. And that, back. and that was the one big adjustment, right? That was the one way that Nick Saban broke tendency because that was the one thing that Kirby Smart did not anticipate him doing. Well, this is and, a huge test. And you're right. Does, does, does Steve Sarkeesian have something up his fourth quarter sleeve? Yeah, he got to do it. Remember, remember, the, remember the Super Bowl 2017? Go back to that, too. The Patriots and the Rams in that Super Bowl, the, the only touchdown scored was out of 22 personnel, two backs, two tight ends, and it was out of empty formation. This is where my empty formation obsession actually starts. Out of empty formation, and the Rams and Wade Phillips were called an amazing uh, game defensively. Matter of fact, it was a defensive uh, battle between the, the Patriots and the Rams, and he gave up one touchdown, and the only touchdown he gave up was out of 22 personnel where the Rams left their linebackers and heavy personnel on the field, and then the Patriots spread them out and went empty formation with that group. Group. And turns out the research had been done that that season in 2017, there had only been 11 instances the entire season where a team used 22 personnel and went empty formation. And the Patriots did it three times in a row to score the only touchdown there. They broke tendency. Hell, they broke tendency that nobody could have uh, prepared for or anticipated. And they didn't even practice it. It came out later. The players actually revealed they did not even practice that. They, put, they installed it. But even the Patriots didn't think they were going to use it because they didn't practice it. They installed it but didn't practice it, and that's why they end up winning the game. That's the ultimate kind of, you know, example of them breaking tendency. Also, that same Super Bowl, they, that's when you know, Jared Goff and Sean McVay, they would line up at the line of scrimmage really fast, try to beat the play clock, and they would try to get to the line of scrimmage with about 25 seconds left on the play clock when they switch off the headset with 15 seconds left so that Sean McVay could talk uh, Jared Goff through the play. And through the defense before the snap. And the Patriots, remember, they sent in two different play calls. One prior to the snap and then one after they shut shut off the headset and one post-snap. And then they would basically have a different look for a young Jared Goff. They broke tendency. They also played more. There was more zone coverage in that game than they played in any game in the playoffs because they needed to break tendency because Sean McVay knew, oh, they're going to be playing man coverage. And he built his game plan around, man, they're playing a lot of man coverage. And so these examples are littered everywhere. Remember, well, remember last season when the Bills beat the uh, Miami Dolphins in the playoffs? They, they did it by running a, a, a concept of 10 personnel, which is one back, zero tight ends. They had four of their snaps uh, against the Dolphins with 10 personnel. They had only used it seven total snaps the entire season. So they went 10 personnel. In four plays to beat uh, the Miami Dolphins in that game, but they had only used it seven times the entire year. But you got to break tendency. How could how could the Miami Dolphins be ready for it? There was nothing on film to show that they they were going to run that, and there were only seven plays. Why would I devote my very valuable practice time, which I'm limited to by the way because of the CBA? Why would I devote it to a play they only ran seven damn times in the entire 17 game season? You wouldn't. 
And that's why breaking tendency is so important because you got to do the one or two things they don't expect you to do. The, the Doug Peterson did it too with the Jaguars. Remember that that play they ran? It was a fourth and one, fourth and it was fourth and inches actually. It was a twenty-five yard run by uh, uh, I believe it was Travis Etienne, if I'm not mistaken. Remember they lined up in that T formation with three players in the backfield. It was only the sixth time the entire season that a that an NFL team on offense lined up three players in the backfield on fourth down and three of them were done by the Jags. That's breaking tendency. That's what Sark and Texas are going to have to do in this game. I don't know how they're going to do it. It's hard to predict and anticipate that, but I guarantee you if they win this game versus Alabama on Monday, I will come in here and I will show you all the ways that he broke tendency to be his former mentor. If they lose, then I'll come in here and show you all the ways they did not. Yeah, and uh, did exactly what Alabama thought they were going to do. We will see. It's great stuff there, there from uh, Rod's rant. I would also say the examples you gave are great. They're also outside. You know, so Buffalo is playing Miami for the third time. Uh, that's a divisional yes, team, so you got to break point. something out that they haven't great seen. Great point. Great point. E. And the other ones, the Super Bowl games and the national championship game with Nick Saban. You have extra time got to prepare. All right? that time. You got a yeah. month to prepare. Same with the Super Bowl. Well, guess what. Alabama and Texas have had all offseason to prepare for this game, <laughs> exactly. right? Have you had all offseason mm-hmm. to find this plan that's going to break tendency? And don't think Nick Saban doesn't know it too. So, uh, so just another subplot of what makes this game so damn intriguing. Because you know, week to week, once once you get past this week and you're getting your conference, it's tougher. It's to, tough. Yeah, you don't have time. You don't so have time you're, for you're that. just trying to build on what you're good at and then and, and go. This is the game where you can break out that stuff that, as you said, the players didn't even know why they were practicing, but they were practicing it all summer and all through camp and yep. didn't use it against Rice. And now all of a sudden, oh, here it is. That's the play. Uh, let's do it. Uh, we shall see. That's why I said earlier this week when they ran that throwback screen to Jonathan Brooks. Mm-hmm. Oh, to, yes. To, to me, they're going to show that look in this game, and they're going to do something else off of it. Good job, Right, because they've now shown it twice in a row. They, they did have. it in the Alamo Bowl, and Jonathan Brooks scored a touchdown. They did it in a in the in the Rice game, which, which Nick Saban mm-hmm. is going to make a point of emphasis with his team to identify on film. Well, then you do something completely different off of it. Give it the entire look. And then there's something that that hasn't happened before that's happening, and the defense is like, "Oh man, mm-hmm. we didn't see that coming." Yeah, that's a way you can set somebody up. Love it. I like good that. stuff, Rod. I like that. All right, we come back back into the NFL. We'll also take a walk down memory lane. The last time Jared Goff faced Patrick Mahomes in a season opener, it was a classic for sure. Also, uh, our picks in the NFC West and South coming next. Aaron Hogan, Rod Babers, Austin, Texas Sports, the Horn. P and Rod B, it's the start of the NFL season. Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes tonight. Maybe Travis Kelsey, who will be uh, tested this morning. Then be kind of a game-time decision. No structural issues with his knee, but swelling and inflammation. If it's instable at all, you'd probably not want to play him tonight with a long season to come. But he hasn't missed a game since 2014. He is an Iron Man. So we'll see if he goes tonight. The Chiefs would definitely like to have him on the field tonight, but not if he's not healthy. Uh, also, Rod, two most annoying fan bases in the NFL, according to social media. Mm, Cowboys, probably. Cowboys and Eagles. Yeah. Cowboys and Eagles. Mm. Eagles, definitely. Cowboys, I see it. It's it's, it's not Cowboys' fault. It's because Jerry Jones has been gaslighting that fan base for two decades. <laughs> yeah. So it's not their fault. It's just that Jerry Jones has distorted their reality. But Eagles fans, yes, they are actually and that's in every sport painstakingly annoying. Yeah, that's a Philly thing. That's a, that's Philly, a Philly thing. thing. Not, they're yeah. proud of it too. It's a badge they of are honor. Proud of it. I went to a Texans Jets game in Houston one time, and I got to say, Jets fans are pretty uh, annoying. They're number eight on the list according to this survey. Yeah, and that's because little, the, the, the little brothers 
syndrome up there in New York City. That Chiefs fans are four. That's because they're so cocky. They're like Alabama fans. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Patrick Mahomes, duh. Roll Tide, duh. You know, they're just good. Hey, I would be too if, you know, your quarterback had the best start to a career in the history of the NFL. Yeah. The best first, what, five years in the history of the NFL. That's what he's got. And uh, he's been in three Super Bowls already, won two of them. And he's young. And he's young. We're good. We're good. Yeah, they're good. They're they're cocky. And he's giving less money, taking less money, so his team can be better. He's unselfish, too. He's got a Tim Duncan-like unselfishness about him. It's also National Beer Lovers Day. So how about that? National Bud Light Beer Lovers Day and uh, NFL start to the season. A couple other NFL notes. Then we're going to make our picks um, in, in two more divisions. We told you that uh, Travis Kelsey will maybe play tonight. Uh, the Rams, though, will not have Cooper Cup. He's a first-round draft pick in a lot of fantasy football leagues. He will not play Saturday or Sunday against Seattle. What a game mm-hmm. that is! Uh, that was a you know divisional rivalry game to start the season. Uh, but the Rams, how about this? Sean McVay said they haven't ruled out placing Cup on injured reserve. Do it, do it, Sean McVay, and start the slow tank because of the that ongoing hamstring tank. injury. Won't heal. Mm-hmm. He's going to see a specialist. That's a problem. That's why I was yeah. telling people to avoid Cooper Cup in drafts. Hopefully, you did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and no more holdout in San Francisco. Nick Boza. How about this deal? Micah Parsons was smiling yesterday. $170 million five-year extension for Boza. Uh, he, he's the highest-paid non-quarterback in the history of the league now. And he's making more than some quarterbacks with $122 million guaranteed. Uh, Boza is done. He'll have that title for how long? Till Micah. Till Micah. Yeah, Micah signs his new deal. Well, since, the, since Boza's been drafted by the Niners, they haven't been outside the top five in defense. And he's had 15 or more sacks in four seasons now. Oh, no, he's, he's, he's a real deal. And Micah Parsons is on that trajectory, too. And the real bad one, I mentioned, you know, we're, you and I are Texans fans, but it's hard to be one. They, this is worst-case scenario for them, the fact that they went to camp with the idea that we're going to have a young quarterback and we're going to build behind a good offensive line, a really good line that they've invested in. Laramie Tunsil, uh, Titus Howard, they've used draft capital, and they, they also signed Shaq Mason, uh, mm-hmm. who, who won a Super Bowl in New England and, now, and then was in Tampa Bay when they were good. He's a guy that they like at right guard. Well, they've lost three starters on their offensive line for at least the first month of the season. Yeah. And Kenyon Green, their left guard, the 15th pick in the draft two years ago out of A&M, is out for the year. IR for the season. So they have to. They need a replacement left guard, and you know that's going to be Rod. It's going to be the guy they just traded for from Arizona. Oh yeah, Josh, Josh Jones. Jones. Yeah, he's, he's going to play guard. He plays guard and tackle. He can play like damn near any position except center. And then they remember they lucky fortunate for them they just trusted their draft board because they took Juice Scruggs out of Penn State with their second round pick, and he had won the starting job. But with the fifth round pick, they took Jarrett Patterson out of Notre Dame. It's a brilliant move cause, now because the Texans went into the draft knowing they needed a center, so they took two of them. Yep. And Patterson's a kid out of Notre Dame who was still there when they were on the board, and we're like, well, we got to take him. He's he's too good to pass on. We had a higher grade, we had a third round grade on him, maybe higher. So they took him, and uh, so now he's going to start. So a rookie center. Uh, backup left guard, and now Titus Howard. This is the one that really stings. They signed him to a new contract this offseason to lock him up, and he hurt his hand early in training camp. They thought it would heal. It didn't, and now they have to have surgery. He's going to be out four to six weeks now. So yeah. you're, you're, you're C.J. Stroud, rookie quarterback, on the road at Baltimore to start your season with 
two-thirds of your offensive line not starting. That's a problem. Yeah, and Damian Pierce, they're going to need him to saddle up because uh, you don't want to trust your quarterback dropping back too much in uh, predictable passing situations with a rookie center. A rookie center. Now, I'm sure, by the way, that was a damn good move by the Texans to draft two centers in the same draft. It was highly criticized at the time. But you have to, you have to think, you know, they were basically – they were basically kind of hedging their bet. What if one of their evaluations didn't work out? Yeah, they like they really like both of them, and they needed a, they they didn't have a center on and the roster really, before that draft. Best case scenario, they both work out. Hey, you got two centers for the next I don't know eight years or so, whatever it is. If one of them works out and the other one doesn't, that was your fail safe, right? You had a contingency plan that was basically what was built in. And what was the what's the likelihood of both of them being you know no bust and not working out? That's highly unlikely if. Nick Casario has any idea what he's doing. It looks like he did. Yeah, and both had, I mean, Notre Dame has just churned out offensive linemen. That's where, so I think that guy's going to be a good player. But to, to take three backups on the road into yeah. Baltimore, mm. I mean, obviously Titus Howard and Juice Scruggs will be back soon enough. But, I mean, not soon enough, but by October. But still, that's not a way for a rookie quarterback to get his baptism by fire. Because you wanted to be able to establish the line of scrimmage, run the ball with Damian Pierce, and then you know, give your young quarterback some play-action opportunities. You may not have that in this game. If you know, I, I would consider, I know this is crazy, but if you have a better option than Damian Pierce at running back in your fantasy league, you might want to I mean, think about it. Because I have him in one league. I might start Kenneth Walker uh, for the mm. Seahawks instead. Just Because I don't know what Pierce is going to do. They're going to stack the line. They, you know, yeah. The, the young offensive line, I mean, that's a, that's a good Baltimore front. It's a tough place to play and hear the loud and the noise there. For them, I'm, I'm worried for the Texans early in this season with all those injuries. Three? I mean, come on, you got to catch yeah. a break at some point. Uh, and obviously they didn't get any. It's brutal. Hey, remember when uh, Patrick Mahomes met Jared Goff and they played a 54-51 Rams-Chiefs game back in 18, Rod? I'm telling you, they're going to score some points remember in Remember that game? game in Mexico mm-hmm. City? Yeah. 54-51. Do we get something like that tonight? Jared Goff's one of the only quarterbacks that can brag about having that kind of win, like a shootout win against Mahomes. <laughs> Right? I mean, not a lot of people can brag about that. I think you are going to get a high-scoring game. Here are the, the five season openers for Patrick Mahomes and how many points they've scored. 38-40, 34-33-44, an average of 37.8 points. You look at the Lions, the Lions in 2022, the Lions games that they played in averaged a league-high 51.8 total points per game in 2022. Just any game that featured the Lions – had a league-high total points of average of 51.8 points. So they were scoring like gangbusters. And now you got the Chiefs, who, by the way, second in the NFL in games that they were featured in and total points uh, scored on average were 50.9 points. So you basically got the two the two top teams in terms of games they were featured in who scored the most points or averaged the most points. I think I think they're going to take – I'll take the over. Was it 53? Yeah. I take the over with with no Chris Jones, no Charles Amenahu for the Kansas City Chiefs, so their D line is suffering a little bit. Yeah, the only thing that hurts that over under may be Travis Kelsey not playing because obviously that's Patrick Mahomes' favorite weapon, and he's the greatest, most productive tight end in NFL history. So yeah, that probably will affect the scoring. Agreed. All right, let's get another division up in here, Rod. We've gone through uh, most of the NFL divisions. If you're just tuning in, uh, we'll run through them here again again coming up. We've got. uh, you and I like Philadelphia in the NFC East. Ty likes Dallas. Mm-hmm. NFC North, Detroit. Detroit for you and me. And Ty likes Minnesota. He's also an outlier for us over in the AFC because you have Miami in the AFC East. I have the Buffalo Bills to repeat. Ty has the Jets. 
AFC oh, yeah. North, you have Cincinnati, and I have Baltimore. But, boy, we both agree that's a coin flip. Yep. Ty has Cleveland. Cleveland! We all three like Jacksonville and Kansas City in their receptive, respective divisions in the AFC. Mm-hmm. That brings us to the NFC West, Rod. NFC West. Is this one easy for you with 49ers now that Nick Bose is in camp and they got Brock Purdy at quarterback? Yeah, I think for me it's going to be easy. I mean, the 49ers, you talk about six of the last 12 NFC title games <laughs> featured the 49ers. Um, and that's not, oh, with Shano, they just, as an organization, uh, they've been able to just c- continuously reinvent themselves, compete at a high level. Uh, I love this stat. Uh, the 49ers were the first team last season in NFL history to have every one of their opponents lose the next game, the following game after playing the 49ers, regardless of whether they won or lost. They lost the next game. There's a hangover effect. When you play the 49ers because they're so damn physical, Shano has never believed in a quarterback like he's believed in Brock Purdy. He's basically going all in, risking it all on Brock Purdy. That means he sees something special. I trust my man Shano. The only other team that really can come out there and compete would be the Seattle Seahawks. I like the Seahawks. I think they're a playoff team Um, But I'll take the 49ers to win that division. Uh, Yeah, I think Seattle's improved, but I don't think they're they're that improved to catch them. Because remember, they went to, what, 13-4 and last year, the 49ers, Mm -hmm. but they got off to a rough start, right? They They lost a couple games early. They started slow. Started slow, and, uh, you know, they ended up, you know, with 13 wins. So I agree with you on that. I do think Seattle has improved. I do think that team is – They've had two really, really good drafts back-to-back. They added a corner in this draft. They got Jackson Smith and Jigba, who I think is going to take their offense once he gets healthy to a whole different level. They've got D.K. Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and J.S.N. and Ken mm-hmm. Walker. And they also drafted Zach Charbonneau yeah, got out of UCLA to bring some punch to their offense. Two running backs now with Ken Walker and he. And if Geno Smith, it's all on Geno, right? Can he replicate what he did last year in a Pro Bowl season? And and because you mentioned Cooper Cup's injury, we talked about that, that now maybe the Rams are thinking about the future. They should be tanking. And <laughs> you, have two, you may have two teams in your division that are thinking about Caleb Williams. Yeah. That helps. Mm-hmm. And I think Caleb would rather go to L.A. than go to Arizona. Just saying. Just throwing it out there. Uh, one thing that's interesting, too, about um, – the Seattle Seahawks, it's just it's so rare to see a quarterback um, have their breakout year when they're like 32. What did Gino? know? Gino was like 32 years old or something like that. It's just really rare to, to have that, to have the breakout year that late in his 10th year. Um, but all, all the reports are that, you know, this offense could end up being pretty, pretty you know lethal because of. Jackson Smith and Jigbo, I think he's got a hand injury or something. Yeah, early he'll on. be back though in in September. Yeah, because they got three receivers. You can't cover all those guys. Most people don't. Have, most teams don't have the secondary to so cover he, all those. He's going to play week one. Oh, is he? Is he? JSN oh, yeah. Is? From what I from what I heard. All right. Well, that well that's there's yeah. a very good chance that he does. And that okay. guy. I mean, think about Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. And last year they were you know the mm-hmm. first and second best rookies in the league, and they both said that Jackson Smith and Jig was better than they were. Yeah, and he was a beast at Ohio State, but then he was hurt, and then he didn't play last year, and uh, had the hamstring. So we'll see. But yeah, if they if they have that and that backfield, and remember the year before they invested heavily in their offensive line in the draft and hit uh, the defense needs to be oh. improved for Paul Pete Carroll. But you know, Geno Smith's performance also really made Russell Wilson look even worse, right? It made that tra- it made them look like geniuses in that trade. Yeah, it made we got rid like of geniuses. our toxic player, yep. and now we added Geno Smith, and we're still as good. And or add a lot of picks, and we got a bunch. And they of picks, draft and we, well, yeah. and they draft. They no hit team, in the draft. No team has has rebuilt quicker than the Forty Nine, the Seahawks, through the Legion of Boom to now. It doesn't feel like because they're right back in the mix here, and I think they are a playoff team. Yes, uh, even Agreed. if they can't catch the Forty ers those head to head matchups will be great. Ty, who are you taking? 
San Fran. All right. Two Ooh, were unanimous it's the there. first time. Oh, yeah. Other than the, he, the, we took the Jags all to win the AFC Jags South. Jags and Chiefs. And the Chiefs to win the AFC South. All right. West. We have one more to get. That'll be the NFC South. And that's <laughs> that one's up in the air. Is it the Saints? Is it Atlanta? Remember, mm. all four teams were within a game of each other last year at the end. Somebody won it, the Tampa Bay Bucks, But they were all right there. We'll get you details on that division coming up. Plus, before the end of the show, we will pick our Super Bowl participants and winners here on Ian Rodby. Coming next, though, who said that? Who said that? Who said it? We'll find out next. Yeah, one more division to go. We'll hit that at the top of the next hour. Also in the next hour, Drew Sanders, head coach at Vandergriff, our weekly coaches chat with the Vipers head coach. They're off to a 2-0 start, and uh, we're serving the state championship game a year ago, so we'll preview the high school football weekend. Also, the NFL kicks off tonight, and certainly more Longhorn conversation, getting ready for the Bama game, and a huge Saturday and of college football, which we're looking forward to. But it's time for Who Said That. Uh, Rod and I play audio for one another. We try to guess who it might be saying what it is being said. And you can play along as well on the Specs text line, 512-337-3776. So uh, what say you, Mr. Rod B? All right, I got a couple of clips here um, for Who Said That. Who Said It. Uh, the first one is a, let's go to quarterback. Quarterback. An NFL quarterback. Here it is. Um, Justin is a totally different player uh, than me. You know, Justin can throw the, the deep balls as far as anyone in this league. Um, you know, there's things that Justin does that, you know, I look at and like, oh my gosh, like I'm, you know, sometimes you, you can't help but fan over those those plays. Um, but he, we're, we're just different in our styles and who we are as, as football players. Um, got tremendous amount of respect for him um, and yeah. It's it's him going against our defense and, you know, our offense going against their defense. All right. All right. Who said that? What NFL quarterback? That's, uh, that sounds like like Tua. That was Tua. Tua. Talking about his matchup with uh, the Chargers and Justin Herbert. Yeah, Very, he's, a, he's a fan of Justin Herbert, apparently. Right, and, and the Dolphins chose Tua over Herbert in the draft that year. They could have taken oh, either. They had the selection of okay. either, then they took Tua. Okay. Which is, I'm sure, why that question was asked. Mm. Uh, well, we'll see if there's some buyer's remorse because if Tua can't stay healthy, then you know they'll know made the right decision. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean that was much <laughs> debated at the time, right? If made you, the wrong decision, I should say, and because the Dolphins, you know, had had a choice of both, mm. which uh, you know we, we we do that all the time, but uh, they. They had the fifth pick, and they took him. The Chargers took Justin Herbert one pick later. Joe Burrow was the first. So pick basically, they would have taken whoever Miami didn't take. Yeah, yeah, and now it's pretty cool that they mentioned that. Uh, <laughs> okay, so can you fire up this one, uh, Ty? This is a college football coach All talking right. about uh, his best player. Who do you think this is? He's such a special kid. Okay. And I don't, I'm not trying to be broad there, okay? Here's what I mean by that. Any box you create, he checks it, okay? I mean, just from a kid standpoint, all right? The kid's the hardest worker I've ever met, okay? He'll be the first one to breakfast. He'll be the first one in the training room to get his ankles taped. He'll be the first one in the meeting room, okay? He'll be the last one to lead the field. If we do a 10-yard sprint, he'll be the first one to win the 10-yard sprint. If we do a 30-yard sprint, he'll be the first one to win the 30-yard sprint. You get the point I'm making, right? And I think... That's what makes him special. Yeah, he's he's talented, right? He, he he's got extreme talent. He can run. He can jump. He can catch. He's tough. Okay, but what makes him special to me is just his competitiveness. He is the ultimate competitor. The kid don't want to lose in anything. 
okay? And to be honest with you, I need to see Oscar Delp get reps, okay? I need to see Austin Lucky and Pierce Sperling get reps. And when I take him off and limit some of his reps, he gets pissed off. He gets pissed off. Okay, I'm like, hey, Brock, he's like, what did I do wrong? Nothing, buddy. Just stand right here. It's okay. It's okay. And uh, you know what? You should want it that way. Kids should be pissed off when they don't get their reps, okay? That tells you that he wants to be great. So I'm, I'm just thankful for the opportunity that I get to coach him, man. He's such a great kid. Who wow. said that, Rod? I have no idea who said that. Honestly, I don't know. Is it Mike Norvell? Nope, it's the uh, offensive coordinator of your Georgia Bulldogs. Oh, uh, okay. Talking about go. Brock Bowers. Talking okay. about Brock Bowers, his tight end, saying everything you just heard him say, that uh, um, he's that special. He's, he's that freak. special, which and is also, why some people think he could actually be a, a Heisman contender <laughs> as a tight end. Never. But is he a tight end, Rod, in the world of positionless football? No, he's a, he's a, well, the NFL is going to tell him he's a tight end. Ask Jimmy Graham. <laughs> the NFL will tell you, no, you're a tight end. Watch when the franchise tag numbers come up. They'll be like, you're a tight end. There, there have been plenty of players, multiple players, that have tried to change their uh, classification designation in the NFL um, to something else so they can get paid more money, and the NFL is pretty stubborn about they it. They are. They hand, they they hand like, them the ball. They, they right? own the ball. They yeah. do a lot with that dude. But uh, that's Mike Bobo, the offensive Mike coordinator Bobo. who replaced uh, okay. uh, Todd Monken, who's now in Baltimore. What say you, Rod? Who you got? Uh, all right, um, this actually is a couple of uh, NFL players. I don't know. You might end up getting a couple of these guys um, just based on the context clues of what they're discussing. They're having – I believe they're on the game. I believe they're on like a Twitch stream or something, and they're playing the video game and having a oh, discussion cool. about one of their teammates while they're on the game. Here it is. Here we go. Jameer, I'm going to be honest. I didn't know he was that fast. I know. How fast, fast, fast is he? Sliding. How fast is he? He's as fast as anybody four, we got. 4-3. Slide and his really? acceleration is ridiculous. Yeah, really. Let me tell him you this. Him or JMO? Uh, I would say this in a hundred, JMO. Okay. In a 40, Jameer might get him. JMO's gonna be mad about that one. Mm. I already told JMO this. I told JMO's face. <laughs> Jameer might get you in a 40. All right. Who said that? A lot of clues there. You should be able to at least get the team. They're talking about well, that's uh, that's the Detroit Lions. I'm assuming yes. talking about Jameer Gibbs and Jamison Williams. Yep, um, both Alabama go. Crimson Tide players. So yep. you're you're that's good enough. Amon Rossay Brown is the uh, player that's saying I'll tell you know Jamo to his face that Jameer is faster. And Jared uh, Jared Goff is also in that clip too. And I don't know who the other player is actually. Okay, uh, it's another so player. Goff there. and yeah. uh, Amon Ra. Amon Ra. They're saying Jameer Gibbs is the fastest guy on the team potentially. That that's how fast he is. We'll see tonight. There's a reason they took him with the 12th pick right after Bijan, right? They said, we're getting this dude to change our offense. We want to uh, make him. And the word out of Detroit that I've read, Rod, is that he, you know, he's on the field as a running back, but then when they bring in David Montgomery, he stays on the field and they put him out at receiver. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's they basically the stats would tell you that he is the best receiving running back to come out of college in about 10 years. And people are like, that's crazy. No, here, here's a stat for you. Jameer Gibbs averaged over 10 yards per reception in all three years in college. Uh, if you go look at, he also um, averaged 11.7 yards per reception uh, over what, 107 receptions. Yeah. That is 1.5 yards more than Alvin Kamara in college or in the pros. Yeah, well, I think so that's how they're going to try to use him. I really do. Yes. And, and, and weaponize him and force the mismatches you talk about all the time. They And you love their offensive coordinator in Detroit. Um, oh, yeah, Ben Johnson. Ben Johnson's he, a creative yeah, guy. He is really good, man. Good, yeah. really good young man. Well, there's Beautiful. a reason that the Lions moved on from DeAndre Swift. They traded him to Philadelphia, and then they let 
uh, Jamal Williams, who scored all the touchdowns last year, go. And he was a leader on that team, too. He was. They, they thought David Montgomery, who they played against in their own division all the time, was, was a good good replacement. And then they drafted Gibbs and made him a priority in their draft, which a lot of people wondered. But uh, we'll get to see him tonight. And I do own him in one of my fantasy leagues, Rod. So I'm, smart I'm move. hoping he blows up. No, this is a smart move. I, I agree with you. I think he's going to blow up him and Bijan. It'll probably be the two well, the top good thing, choices for rookie of the year. And Bijan's going like number one and four overall. Mm-hmm. Jameer's second round. Second round. So value. Oh, he's better value. Yeah, value, brother. Value. No Longhorn question. Bear on the text line says, E, that was a tough who said that. Well, they don't have to be easy. They're not all easy. Sometimes it's they're more easy. about the They're inf- usually too easy. It's, Some, uh, yes. it, it's, it's, that was more about the info that Todd, that Mike Bobo was providing, just how how great of a player Brock Bowers, Brock is. Bowers is. Yeah, he's also he's not only your best player and athlete, potentially, but also he's your hardest worker. That's when you know you got something special. My best player is also my hardest worker. I love that. Sounds like you, Rod. Yeah. Coach, what I do? Why haven't I got any reps here? I need my reps. Need my reps, Why coach. am I standing next to you? <laughs> I'm not getting better over here. That's right. good. I love That's that. That's good stuff. We'll be back. One more hour. The fabulous fifth hour to come. Always a good one. Uh, you never know what's going to happen. We will have the uh, what's popping picks of the night. And we're getting ready for Chiefs. Lions tonight in the NFL. And we're two days out to Texas-Bama. Safe to say we got plenty to talk about. It's Ian Rodby.